Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. Well, it's nine o'clock on a Sunday evening here in Europe, which would usually be a brilliant time to chat about the ins and outs of a match day. Alas, there is no football being played in German stadiums these days, and rightfully so, we might add. The coronavirus has shut down all of Europe, keeping me and my guests isolated at home. My name is Nicholas Wiltoy, and I'll be hosting this all-new episode of Talking Fußball. And joining me are two very competent and lovely gentlemen. In Croydon, I've got Terry DeFallon. How are you today, Terry? I'm feeling uh, very lovely, um, but not very competent right now. <laughs> well, you should have taken that Masters in uh, public health or something, um, and <laughs> you would have been greatly needed right now. On the other side of the pond, we find Matthew Herman. Hello. I'm feeling more than competent today. I'm feeling tip-top. I've just uh, ingested a, a double espresso, so let's let's buzz, buzz, buzz. Oh, that, that is great. Only 2 p.m. here. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. So, what is on offer for this all-new episode of Talking Foosball, you might wonder? Well, first of all, we'll be taking a closer look at all the coronavirus-related news since our last episode. Additionally, we also take a closer look at how the smaller size of the lower divisions are affected by the current public health crisis. Our search for weird top 11s is continuing, and we will also be diving into the history books of East German football, so don't go away. So here we are, chaps. A lot has happened since we last spoke, Matt, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you don't count football, um, a lot has happened. I mean, it, we're definitely at that point in history where... Things are unfolding uh, at a pace that is going to be very, very difficult to recreate in our minds uh, <laughs> months and years from now. Uh, it definitely is a weird thing to live through this. This is, I mean, I'm convinced this is going to be some sort of pivotal thing that we all read about um, a long time from now. And and it simultaneously su feels super momentous and super boring for reasons everyone probably can understand. Yeah, so what has happened since we last spoke? Bayern, Borussia Dortmund and uh, Bayer Leverkusen and RB Leipzig have actually decided to hand out 20 million euros of their media revenue and give it to the other teams in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga 2. That was actually Bayern's idea. So last time me and Matt spoke, we thought, you know, Hans-Joachim Watzke, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, they were really just going in it for them. They were really going after the money and sort of being a bit like Gollum guarding that ring, wanting to keep it. Now something has changed, Terry, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, sticking to the adage that um, you know, you, there's no point in winning anything if there's nobody around left to beat. And I guess, you know, hopefully we're also seeing, you know, a, a, a compassionate and a solidarity, you know, streak, you know, in, you know, some of these clubs. I mean, I mean obviously I'm biased, Borussia Dortmund's my club, but I mean, all of these clubs are, are, are the, you know, one, one way or another, the, the richer clubs, the stronger clubs with stronger influence. And I think it's it says a, a lot about the solidarity that they feel towards their colleagues that they're, you know, willing to, to make this kind of gesture. Um, whether it's a not enough or not, I don't know. I mean, you could be cynical and suggest that perhaps it's a PR stunt, but I think that it's these are not the times necessarily to be second-guessing people's motives. I mean, as Matt's just said, these are super weird times and very much paradigm shifting times. And, and you know, it, I think it, it's dangerous to fall back on, on, on old uh, ideas of 
how you think people would behave in situations like this. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is more of a gesture than anything else. I mean, I, I don't want to like poo-poo uh, uh, 20 million euros. I mean, that that is real money. But when you really look at the scale of, of, of what's gone wrong here, I mean, a lot of different people have put out a lot of different estimates about how much money is going to be lost, both in gate revenue and in, in you know, TV revenue. And, you know, 20 million euros split among, what, 32 other teams in the first two divisions is, <laughs> is nothing, essentially. That's like less than a single game day's gate revenue. And it's great. It's really great. It's going to keep some people in work. It's going to keep some people, you know, from having to seek other alternatives. But, you know, it, it, it's important, I think, more as a gesture than the actual contribution. Yeah, to put these numbers into context, Werder Bremen, one of the smallest teams in terms of the size of the stadium in the Bundesliga, they generate 1.5 million euros from one single match day. If the money is split evenly between the teams in the Bundesliga and the teams in the Bundesliga 2, you have 32 teams who are divvying up 20 million euros. So roughly speaking, um, you would be left with something like, let's say... Uh, Nick speaking very slowly, doing sums on his calculator. <laughs> yes, uh, six, 625,000 euros each i i just did that in my head incredible stuff oh my god um, is he a, is, is he rain man what's going on here? <laughs> he's a savant i am so that means that it might be it might be like a match day for bundesliga two side i mean but i think i read somewhere that father bohem generate five hundred thousand euros from match day. but you know just getting the income from one match day or half a match day isn't going to be enough for any of these 32 teams but as we've seen, players have actually been willing to take pay cuts. Nine teams have so far confirmed when they were asked by Sportschau, which is a TV show on German public television, public broadcaster RD, they broadcast that show. Sportschau asked all the clubs in the Bundesliga, have you asked your staff or your players to take a pay cut? Nine clubs have said, yes, our players have taken a pay cut. Among them, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Borussia Dortmund, Bayern München, Werder Bremen. So there are some really big teams where the players are actually taking considerable pay cuts. In the case of Borussia Dortmund and Bayern München, we're talking 20%. Only Hoffenheim, strangely enough, said, no, this is not going to happen. Our players are not going to take a pay cut. Yeah, I think that has something to do with who their owner is and what kind of sort of reputation management he seems to be wanting to undertake right now. I mean, we, we talked about it in the last podcast about his you know, refusal to sell his his like vaccine research team company to the United States when there was some sort of indecent proposal being made. I mean, he clearly sees, you know, his moment as one to be someone who sets an example for the country and sets an example for society. And I think basically he wants to say that like, you know what, I'm rich. I can take this loss. I'm going to keep on paying people and, you know, be the good guy here, which, you know, maybe his players or his employees also want to be the good guy here, but like, you know, he's rich. He's super rich. He can just, he can, he can spare this money. <laughs> yes, indeed. Sorry, I didn't even use his name. Dietmar Hopp. Dietmar Hopp, Hopp everybody. Yes. Well, uh, there was a question in, where, in there somewhere from my side, but I, I, I somehow have forgotten it. But um, Terry, what's interesting, what we should talk about here is that football clubs are not only the employees of the top team, they are an awful lot of more 
people who are involved in making this machinery run, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's, there's uh, potentially hundreds of uh, members of staff, uh, regular people who work for a football club, like they would just like work for any other office and draw comparable salaries to, you know, the national average, uh, you know, not fabulously wealthy people who would expect to be working or to hope to be working uh, in that job for the duration of their careers up until their retirement. And obviously they're like many, many, many other people, almost conceivably everyone, you know, face a very uncertain time. And so, you know, I mean, if there's a possibility of the higher earners in the clubs to, you know, take a hit so that they can maybe compensate or, you know, redress the balance and allow the clubs to continue to pay to pay their, their staff who really do rely on on, on that money for their livelihoods, then, then I mean, that is certainly to be applauded and encouraged. And I mean, returning to Dietmar Hopp, I mean, again, I mean, if he's, if he is guaranteeing the income of his employees, all of them, then I think that that is a, you know, that, that's certainly a, uh, I wouldn't say a generous thing. I'd say that that was the right thing to do. And it, it behooves me to say that there are other people in his position with his kind of wealth in other sectors, in other industries, who um, haven't made uh, a similar gesture. <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be a long time before any of us is going, going to return to uh, Weatherspoons anytime soon. <laughs> or fly Virgin Atlantic. There you go. Or United, or you know, any number of other entities oh, yeah. who chose this period in time to... Oh, Everlane. Don't order from Everlane. They're trying to bust a union uh, through this time. You know, all kinds of companies are behaving badly right now. Yeah. Yes, look them up before you order anything at all. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a test of character these days, uh, these times we're we're in, and um, companies are facing moral decisions, and some of them, like Weatherspoons, have failed terribly. But to return to the people who work within the football industry in Germany, Borussia Dortmund, just to give you an example, are the second biggest employer on their own in the city of Dortmund. They actually have 850 people working for them. So players taking a pay cut is essential to keeping them up, keeping those people in work. And uh, Hans-Jürgen Watzke told Kicker today that he's concerned about how he can make that happen, that everybody stays in their job for as, as long as possible. And, you know, but there's no talking around that. If this is going to last for another half a year, maybe 10 months, there are going to be brutal decisions that have to be made from the officials at clubs in Germany. Yeah, I mean, and, and even beyond Germany, I mean, there was, I don't know if you all paid much attention to those comments from someone who it's often pays to not pay too much attention to, uh, Johnny Infantino, late last week talking about, you know, maybe maybe it's time to rethink football, you know, maybe maybe less less fewer competitions, but the ones that are around are more, more important. <laughs> And there, maybe maybe it's better to have fewer teams. And I was like, oh, that's a red flag that when he just mentioned this. Like, so you're you're. I mean, we kind of touched on this in our very wide ranging, somewhat speculative conversation, you know, a week and a half ago. But like, are we really getting now down to the time where you know? The smaller clubs, both in the top two tiers, but I mean, even more so in the, you know, Dritte Bundesliga, the Regionalliga. I mean, 
there's trouble ahead for a lot of these teams, it seems. If, if, if this goes on, if we can't play the rest of the season, if we can't start next season on time, I mean, this could be big trouble. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I, mean, I think that I'm inclined to agree. I, I, I think that uh, FIFA, probably Gianni Infantino, probably has an idea of maybe you know, implementing some kind of herd immunity for, uh, for football clubs. And, <laughs> oh, no. You know, just seeing, seeing, who, you know, seeing who survives. Um, this ordeal that's a crass comparison uh, uh, for which I apologize but I mean uh, the idea that also apt also apt but, yeah Terry but I mean it, it, it's uh, it, it's it's it suggests to me that you know that they're going to let the market sort this out to a certain degree <laughs> um, and I mean there will be people on the other side of the argument who will say that clubs that are poorly run and have been poorly run for a period of years sometimes even decades exist in a fairly unique environment in which they're able to continue somehow in some way, shape or form, and that in a more market-based situation, they would have gone to the wall, and that maybe some of those clubs maybe deserve not to survive from here. I'm not sure I subscribe to that view, but well, you know, there will be people who will have it. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't, because I mean, there's one thing to run a club like Leeds during you know what supposedly was their heyday when they got into the Champions League semi-finals and uh, spent an awful lot of money they didn't have. I mean, these days, clubs are on pretty much on a knife's edge. Clubs like Werder Bremen, Mainz, Freiburg, they have a good, pretty good idea on what sort of revenue they can generate through TV money, gate, gate money, and uh, all of that. But once a third of their revenue is going to get cut from a TV deal that year, and a third of their gate revenue is going to be cut from, you know, outstanding, from not being able to play in front of a crowd. That is a pretty big loss. I mean, those clubs like Bayern München, Real Madrid, Barcelona, they they exist in a vacuum. Those clubs aren't untouchable because they've managed to accumulate vast amounts of wealth. But a team like Werder Bremen or Mainz or you know any of these you know mid-level smaller sides are no never going to be able to accumulate that sort of wealth if they want to stay competitive to a certain degree in the Bundesliga. Yeah, and I think it will be interesting just how things do shape. I mean, I agree. I agree completely with you. And um, I, I mean, I think it also that sentiment that that I illustrated. That people might have also ignores the the broader work that these clubs have the the imprint that they make on the communities the value that they bring to those communities um, especially at a time like now when as we, when when we eventually emerge from this we will need uh, you know the help of our communities I think for many people to get back on their feet and for us to just simply try and establish some kind of normal life and football clubs have played an important role in that in the past and will do so again in the future. And it's 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 a significant loss of a community asset were these clubs to go. So, you know, I, I think, again, you know, it's, it's extreme. You know, if you're thinking about whether or not a club should be able to survive or whether or not there's some value in scaling down the number of, of teams, then you're thinking strictly in terms of playing football of the sporting element to it and you're ignoring the civil element to to football clubs and, and the value that they have yeah I, I I really feel like there's always been a tension especially 
and all the stakeholders. I mean, FIFA is just such a, a it's its remit is so vast. I mean, it covers like everything from Manchester United to like, you know, some sort of barely affiliated youth team in, you know, Algeria or whatever. Like it, it sort of feels it has the right to speak for everyone. And increasingly, and I don't think I'm super unique in, 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 you know, pointing this out, it just really feels like there is very little um, on the FIFA agenda to sort of speak for the community building and the community um, aspect of football. And it's, it's all about big major competitions. It's starting a club world cup when no one wants it. It's, you know, sort of, you know, rubber stamping, whatever decisions uh, UEFA makes, as long as it doesn't step on the toes of FIFA's money-making schemes. Like I, it, it almost makes me wonder like whether, whether the, the, the whole arrangement makes sense, whether, you know, professional top level football, you know, whether that means, you know, in Europe or South America or Asia or North America, or whatever, their needs and their like, you know, interests are just so different than, you know, community level football. I'm not sure. I mean, there's several problems with FIFA uh, from the top down. I mean, first problem would be how's the top guy elected? Yeah. Well, it's one federation, one one vote. I mean, the DFB in Germany is the biggest federation of them all. It has six or seven million members. It gets as many votes in that in that election as the Solomon Islands. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, how Havelange and Blatter and Infantino have managed to get to the top of such a corrupt system is to precisely talk to people who are on the Solomon Islands, on the Fiji Islands, to bribe them. You know, there's, there's plenty of evidence in, uh, you know, Andrew Jennings' work or Thomas Kistner, who have uh, journalists who have actually researched that. So, that you know, if that is your starting point you are never going to be an organization that is going to speak with one clear voice for everybody who is a member of said organization. But uh, I, I was interrupting you, Matt. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, hey, man, it, I'm, just, I'm just musing here because I, I, I just feel like it's going to be such a long time until we have football played in front of packed stadiums. Uh, and it's, it's going to basically, it's going to break the back of quite a few elements of this you know, whole money-making system for a lot of people. Um, it's just, it, there's definitely going to be some casualties. And I, I, I'm, I'm sad about it. I know it's going to happen. I'm trying to sort out the, the sort of best way to be supportive of things. I mean, I, I, you've, you've figured out some, some at least a few examples of how, how some smaller teams are, are putting this stuff together, right, Nick? Right. So um, let's just take a break and we'll, we'll take a look at the smaller clubs in part two of our show. Here we go. Uh, as we mentioned, we have to, we're going to take a closer look at smaller teams uh, in, in, you know, down the divisions on how they are coping in, in this Corona crisis. I mean, I've, Picked. I've scoured some of some German media outlets to see what the teams in, in Bundesliga two and the third league are up to. Well, you could go the Kaiserslautern route. I found out Kaiserslautern are pretty much selling their best assets right now just to stay financially viable. They're going to generate around uh, four point six million euros from selling Leonard Gill Grill, who is a uh, supposedly one of the best keeping 
goalkeeping talents in, in the Dritte Liga right now. He's uh, joining Leverkusen. And the strikers, you know, the guys who've scored 21 goals for them this season, Florian Pick and Christian Kühlwetter, are both on their way to FC Heidenheim for a combined transfer fee of 2.5 million euros. So that's one way of doing it. Other teams are not as lucky. You have Esther FSV Zwickau, where Joe Enox is currently coaching. Great guy. You should have seen the look on, on Matt's face. Uh, he he seems to to like Joe Enox. Sure, sure. No, I always meant to. Uh, I always meant to get him for an interview uh, for either Deutsche Welle or for this podcast. It just never never seemed to w- work out uh, at the right time. I didn't know he was he was back in the coaching game. I mean, he had you know a couple of stints with his his old team Osnabrück, but I didn't know he was sort of making moves. He's he's coaching Swickham. He has done so for some some time now, and. Um well, Zwickau have told the public that if there are going to be ghost games, we're done. We cannot survive without that match day revenue. And there's there's seemingly no savior in sight for them. I mean, if there isn't an investor coming in or if the fans are cooking something up, they might very well be a casualty of this entire thing. You know, let me quickly... Just looking, I, I just had a, a little glance at the, the, the Dritte Liga table. Kaiserslautern seem to be making a very big bet that the league is not going to start up again because they're only two points above the drop. Yes. Um, if, if, if they sell their best players and this league starts again, that could be the end of them as well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, we've been we've, we've um, not talked an awful lot about Kaiserslautern on this podcast of late. That's because they've dropped down all the world to the third division. But, you know, they used to be a club that could win the Bundesliga. That Betzenberg bibbed was a sentence that was uttered time and time again when the team churned out great performances in the Bundesliga. Uh, the most famous of them probably 7-4 win over Bayern München back in the 70s. Uh, I think in that match they trailed 4-1 at some point and turned it around to 7-4. But, you know, these days, third tier and now selling pretty much their best players. Which, uh, you know, tells you how desperate they are, really, at other places, there are fans trying to um, do the business. Um, fans in Mappen have started, uh, you know, have started to, to collect money for the club. In Duisburg, there are actually three simultaneous uh, fan actions going on at the moment. Uh, one, one of them is called Mein Blut für den MSV, which means my blood for MSV Duisburg. Which, you know, you get paid when you denote, don- donate blood in Germany. Those fans are going to donate blood and the money goes straight to MSV Duisburg. Um, That is actually a concept they've stolen from Union Berlin, which uh, during some financial crisis back in the 90s had their fans donate blood. Union Berlin. They were were hemorrhaging money uh, even without a uh, a pandemic back in in the 90s. Back back in the 90s, they were one of the worst-run clubs. So having them in the Bundesliga is um, actually... Bit miraculous, really. Union Berlin right now are actually selling virtual stadium bratwurst and beer. If you want to donate money to their cause, and another site uh, who has gone the online route is Lok Leipzig. They have actually started to sell tickets for uh, for a virtual match against an invisible opponent. That sounds very sci-fi. <laughs> it does. In the age of Corona, that's how you play football. But how, however, um, they have actually 
would any of you want, want to have a guess how many tickets they've sold to something like that, a fourth tier site? Well, I mean, you've actually written it down on the Google Doc, so I don't really need to guess. But uh... <laughs> Just play the part. Play the part, Terry. Well, you're taking all sorry, the joy sorry. out of this. Um, oh, I don't know. Let me think. <laughs> <laughs> but what about um, 85,509? Close, but no cigar. It's I gone up to 512 in the meantime. <laughs> well, there you go. Over 85,000 tickets sold to that, to Sir Match, which is, um, you know, paying the bills at the club right now, which is uh, good news for the employees there. Um, another team from East Germany actually selling antibodies for 19 euros and 66 cents. Of course, talking about Angie Cottbus, who were founded back in 1966. They write on their website that these antibodies are making the club immune against the emerging crisis of corona so i mean there are some ideas to how to keep afloat but at the end of the day how long are these ideas going to work out i mean you cannot sell out virtual matches for the next two years can you no you know you also have to consider that as the uh, as the if the crisis deepens and as it deepens and lengthens should it do so and it's, you know, it's, I think there's still quite a lot of people around who are labouring under what I think is a the false assumption that this will be over in a few weeks. Um, that uh, the people are going to be hit economically by this. They're going to start running out of money. They're going to lose their jobs. They're not going to have a great disposable income. And so they're not, it's not going to be realistic or feasible to ask members of the public who have their own problems and their own priorities to start putting in for the club. And that, that pool of goodwill will start to diminish just by itself. And Ginda, you don't know also how people are going to react, how their behaviour and their attitudes towards football and, and uh, well, anything really changes over the, uh, over the ensuing weeks and months. And this is... This is where the, the, the problem is going to set in. At the moment, it feels a little bit like, to use a, uh, a, a an old British phrase, a, a pho- the phony war, where everything still seems, at the moment at least, to be, you know, like we're all sort of like being very plucky and showing the right spirit, but perhaps the full impact hasn't dawned on a lot of people yet. We're not quite certain just how grim things truly are. When none of us get the opportunity to, to walk through a hospital wing these days, apart from you, Nick, and to see how grim... The situation is and once that starts to bite and then then people's priorities will change and these are then when you have to start asking questions about whether or not there's value in in these clubs uh, as civic immunities to be protected in which case then you're talking about well frankly you're talking about either state or federal you know aid for these clubs and i, I suspect there's there's not an appetite for that uh, amongst uh, lawmakers but maybe you guys are closer to it maybe you'll you'll you you might have a different view on that. I mean, there the are two hundred fifty thousand people who are employed through football clubs in the top three divisions in Germany. Losing an awful lot of these clubs is equal to losing an awful lot of these jobs. It's probably not the best players who are going to suffer at this stage. It's going to be the guys selling you the beer, the sausages, the guys who are booking travel for fans. You know, all the people who make a football club tick, who make the match day experience a pleasant match day experience. Those who are as much responsible for you going to the football match as the players themselves. Because if you 
cat shit serves at an arena. If you don't get, you know, good beer, good sausages, or you don't have a good travel agency in a club, a lot of people aren't going to bother to show up. So the, these people are valuable assets to those clubs, and they are the ones going to lose their jobs if the government won't help the world of football. But then again, it's a question of priorities. What should we prioritize? Because football is not going to be the only industry that needs a helping hand right. when this exactly. is over. Yeah, yeah but I- and it's it's incumbent upon the state to determine the priority. Sorry, Matt. Go on. Oh no, no. I was simply going to say that that you know while. You know, because football is a sort of money-soaked business or a business that's perceived as being, uh, you know, the the province of, you know, overpaid young, you know, millionaires or whatever, it is very hard to sort of, you know, create public support for, you know, football entities. But when you think about it more broadly, when you think about, like, football is just, it's another form of entertainment. I mean... I don't think the state is going to let all the opera houses or all the art galleries or all of the, you know, um, movie theaters or whatever just die. And I don't think they're going to let the, the, the football clubs die either. I mean, it's, it's, we need, we need bread and circus. I don't know what mechanisms are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, well, I, I don't want to, you know, I mean, and, and pertaining to your point that we don't know where this is going to take us. Um, I mean, I, I was sort of, um, struggling when I when I wrote the outline for this show because I mean the biggest news since we have been on air was the fact that the DFL has said okay we're going to start playing matches on April 30th again no they're not well yeah I mean that that is sort of like at the, I think on the same day or the day prior to that Germany actually passed a law that forbade that that actually prohibited more than two people going out together in public or visiting each other. So you have to be in the same family or you can't be more than two people. And you have to, I think you have to keep a distance of 1.5 meter or two meters in order to be able to stay together. And they, you know, in some, in some, you know, federal countries in like Berlin, they have the police patrolling asking people to show ID in order to, to show them that they are a resident of Berlin. So, I mean, to, to to start thinking about playing football matches in that sort of atmosphere, given how things are right now? I think that's an example of them trying to issue some kind of message of confidence to the various stakeholders, sponsors and whatnot, to try and just give people, you know, just, just, just to try and keep the flame alive more than anything else, just to stop people from just packing up and giving up altogether. Um, I think that, that was a very that. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't see how they could, given the restrictions, I can't see how they could possibly see that come along. I mean, I, I get I, the question for both of you here. I mean, like, if they started showing games behind closed doors now, I mean, how would you feel about that? I mean, like, what's your overall mood? Are you guys chomping at the bit for football to return, or, 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 or are you of the view that perhaps? we're going through a bit of a moment here and that actually now is not the time, even if we could, to be playing games. What's your, what's your view on that? I mean, I could, um, I mean, I could make a joke and say that Belarusian football has got me covered <laughs> brilliantly. I mean, who knew that Alexander Klaps, countryman, could be so proficient at kicking a ball around. But, you know, to be brutally honest, if football was to return to the television tomorrow, with ghost matches. I'd really struggle to watch it. Mm. I'm 
I'm I'm probably uh, with you. Although it, it it not only would it have would it have I, I would I feel weird about it for the from the perspective of the participants, but I would also feel weird about it because. And and I know that there's a million reasons why this is unfeasible, but like part of the reason that make that that behind closed doors matches suck so much is because it's played in a giant stadium that's empty. I mean, I feel like if it was possible to like play it on a training pitch or play it in a like a like one of those you know big tennis bubbles where you where where people play when it's too cold or too wet to play, like. I somehow feel like that would feel more appropriate than an empty stadium. I don't know. It's, it, I, I, I don't, it probably wouldn't work as well from other perspectives, but like the empty stadium is just, it's, it's the worst. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of like a sign or a symbol for, you know, you've misbehaved. Your fans have been racist. You have burned the flag of another country, whatever, you know, whatever fans have done to deserve that kind of punishment. But you know, that that's when that's, and we see this sort of thing handed out by UEFA, racist behavior, monkey chants that taunt black players throughout 90 minutes. That sort of bullshit has, um, you know, been quite appropriately been punished by having empty stadiums. Yeah, but the, there hasn't been anything of, of that sort of nature there in any on any German grounds over the last you know, besides that hurt match, or you know, there were a couple of examples, but you know, but that generally speaking, there has been not an awful lot of that. Well, I mean, even leaving aside the associations of punishment, like there's just something like there's like a feedback loop of enthusiasm, emotion, perceived importance, like that happens when you have the best of the best players and a ton of people cheering them on. Like it all, it all makes sense. You know, and if you like pull, if you pull out one of those like you know Jenga tiles, the whole just, the whole thing just falls down. It feels stupid. Like you know, you watch the players as good as they are playing in front of nobody, uh, and, and and no sound is made when when someone scores or makes a good clearance or anything. Like it just it all feels like nothing. Well, these days they're playing, you know, they have that stay at home challenge from the Bundesliga, um, social media challenges, uh, channels, um, which sees players from different teams playing against one, in, one another on FIFA. Uh, I saw that Werder Bremen lost five, four against Nuremberg. There's also, um, Lake Norian set something up called the quarantine, which was a massive international club tournament on FIFA that they've, that they've set up. And, uh, these are, these are great initiatives and at a degree of levity and, and, and I think, you know, a degree of, and, and some light relief in what are, you know, very grim times. I don't think, I think that football clubs have a role to play in, in helping us through this. But a, it's a question of obviously appropriateness and, you know, timing, you know, and I mean, people are suffering right now and they're going to be suffering more so. I don't know whether or not you want to be watching, you know, championships being concluded behind closed door. I mean, like how many Liverpool fans are going to be genuinely celebrating title win if it happens between closed doors and they know, or they are affected by, by the grief and the tragedy and the, and, and, of, of COVID-19. I mean, I don't think, I think most reasonable people are just not going to want that to happen. I mean, how many Bayern fans are going to be, are going to be happy to lift their team, you know, see their team lift another salad bowl under these kind of circumstances 
No, I mean, like, it's just bloody, it's bloody with the players keeping a two meter distance yeah, between themselves and only two and two being able to, to allow to lift it. And, you know, yeah, the, the, the whole fucking trophy being washed down every time somebody else wants to, to lift it because, you know, you have to be afraid of COVID 19. It can't be on your hands. It can't be on everything. It can't be on surfaces. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Touch the trophy, wash your hands for at least 20 <laughs> seconds with warm water and soap. Pass it on to your. <laughs> well, yeah. so yes, um, it's not it's not the same as a vice beer douche, isn't it? And I think with that, I, th- I think we can just wrap up the show and say thank you for listening. Please stay safe. Please stay indoors. Don't go out if not necessary. Um, my name is Nicholas Viltang. You can follow me on Twitter at Normusings. Chaps, Terry, where can people follow you? And what, what are you up to these days? Uh, nothing nothing much. No, I'm working and I'm staying safe and I'm not being a prick. So uh, it's, and I urge you to do the same. My most heartfelt best wishes to all of our listeners. And thank you very much for your continued listenership and your previous listenership. Thank you very much. I'm Terry DeFellon and you can follow me on Twitter at Terry DeFellon. Yeah, what he said, Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. It's really, really good to see both of you guys. And uh, I hope that everyone listening, uh, it's it's good to hear us because, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to think we <laughs> are fun and that there is fun in this world. Next time we do this, we <laughs> promise we'll be more upbeat and happy. OK, yes. On the next episode, I will have a story about Hollis uh, FC's tragic hotel fire in Eindhoven no we can't wait for that it's going to be a happy episode so there we go is that a BG song (laughs) (laughs) yes so there we go Uh, we'll talk to you very very soon thanks for listening and stay safe